The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. John to the seven churches, the ones being in Asia. Grace to you and peace from God, the one being and the one who was and the one coming, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful martyr, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To the one loving us and having already washed us from our sins by his blood and made us a royal power, a priesthood, to his God and Father, the glory and the power be to him forever and ever. Amen. Pay attention. He is coming in the midst of the clouds, and every eye will see him, even the ones who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one being, and who was, and the one coming, the Almighty. 
I have a question for you. Do you read and focus your time and attention on the teaching of the Apostle Paul? Do you read his letters? Or do you focus your attention on the letters of Jesus? See, the question comes, do you interpret the Gospels of Jesus by what the Apostle Paul and Peter taught? Or do you interpret Paul and Peter from what Jesus taught? Who holds the preeminence? Now, I have, in my ministry, primarily focused on the book of Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. That's where I've spent the majority of my time. But in recent years, that has dramatically changed. We have the synoptic gospels, meaning we compare one with another. They tell the same story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we gain insight and understanding into Jesus' ministry by looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is a whole nother matter. The Gospel of John goes into the deep meaning behind the words. And so we have these four Gospels. But there is a fifth Gospel. It is called Revelation. The book of Revelation is another gospel. It is a gospel given to us by Jesus himself. Now, this book of Revelation has been very controversial for many people. It has been for me. It has only been in the last few years that I've even begun to teach from the book of Revelation because it was such a mystery to me, and I heard so many false things said about it, that I finally just said, look, I'm not smart enough to even begin to deal with this. I'm still not. But the Lord has opened the book in many ways to my heart, and I've begun to understand things. Some of the early church reformers, Martin Luther would have nothing to do with the book of Revelation. He thought it should not be included in the canon of Scripture. John Calvin, he wrote a commentary for each of the books of the Bible, but Revelation he wouldn't touch. He didn't want anything to do with the book of Revelation. Well, why is this? Because in the book of Revelation, things are said that totally counter some of the teachings of John Calvin and of Martin Luther. So it's easier just to exclude them, like Martin Luther wanted to exclude the book of James, because it also countered what he understood from other passages of Scripture. I want the whole of Scripture. 
I remember many years ago, as a little boy, I was primarily interested in this man, Jesus. And I would sometimes come home from church and tears would flow down my face. And my father would ask me, Raymond, what's wrong? And I'd say, Daddy, preacher didn't talk about Jesus. And I know I'm a sinner. I need to know about Jesus. Daddy would say, Raymond, how are you a sinner? I said, because I get mad at my brothers. I call them names. I secretly, Daddy, I read comic books. And my father had taught me that comic books were wrong. The newspaper would come and I would immediately go to the comics and and Daddy had taught me that was wrong. And so I was struggling with with reading the comics because Daddy said, Raymond, they'll never tell you about Jesus and anything that doesn't tell you about Jesus, go the other way. Don't follow anybody who comes with another message that is not from Jesus. Well, I took that to heart. I would say, Daddy, the preacher didn't talk about Jesus today. My dad would look at me with those piercing, soft eyes of love, and he would say, No, no, Raymond, he didn't, because he doesn't know Jesus. Well, I remember when I was in seminary, my favorite professor, Dr. Alexander, was preaching in a local church nearby, And so I went to that church. I wanted to hear him preach. I was currently taking a course in homiletics and preaching from him. Well, he chose as his scripture the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And I sat there. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. Tears began to come down my cheeks. <coughs> Pardon me. I knew what he was saying was important. And it's like there was a blanket, a cloud over my mind, and I couldn't comprehend his words. I later spoke with him in his office about this. And he said to me, Raymond, Just read the book of Ephesians and ask Jesus to open your eyes. Well, I didn't do that. I focused on being a successful pastor and moving my career forward as I left the seminary and took my first pastoral assignment in western Pennsylvania in a a little place called Dubois, Clearfield, and Putneyville. But I was soon very bored with what was happening. Nothing was happening. And so I began to take my Bible and spend a great deal of time in the book of Ephesians. And the Lord began to unfold the book of Ephesians for my heart. Now please, let me say this to you. Jesus is the one who must unfold his word to you. He does that by the Holy Spirit 
He doesn't do it through intellectual understanding. He does it by opening your heart to who Jesus really is and what he wants to do in you. In Revelation, this first chapter, it says, to the one loving us. That's the first comprehension that will begin to come into your mind as you read and pray over the scriptures. You will be caught by how how much God loves us. And then it says, having already washed us from our sins. And I said, Lord, you haven't washed me from my sins. By his blood. And made us a royal power, a priesthood to God, his father. I knew that was not my experience. And I began to earnestly seek after Jesus for this experience of being washed in his blood, having my sins removed. As I read the book of Ephesians, I discovered the wonderful, glorious truth that Jesus is the head of the church and that he loves his church. I discovered that not only does he love his church, but it's his very first love. That he's preparing a bride. And I began to understand that he wants to bring all things in unity under the headship of Jesus, under his headship. And he wants the church to be the instrument by which he brings this headship He wants to unite the world by the church and its ministry in love and fellowship and righteousness being cleansed by the blood. There's a song that that we sing. I want to read it for you. I want you to catch the words. O soul, Are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting he passed and we follow him there. O'er us sin no more hath dominion for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him, and all will be well. Then go to the world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Oh, the church is not telling a perfect salvation today. The church is teaching a false gospel We must have a revival, but not a revival of false gospel. We must have a revival about Jesus. We must have a revival that takes us from death to life. That Jesus was crucified, and we too must be crucified. And o'er us sin no more hath dominion. For more than conquerors we are, and the modern teaching is sin has dominion over us. 
That's not the call of the gospel. That's not the loving Lord I serve. Now you're perhaps wondering, what song is this? I'll read you the chorus and then you'll know. And I would guess that many of you have never heard the verses I've just shared with you. They were written originally by the original author. The chorus is, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There is a gospel that is good news. And I come today to talk to you once more about this church at Laodicea. Now, I've for many years taught this as a reprimand. But that's not primarily what the church at Laodicea received. They received an incredible promise. I want you to know that promise. I've talked to a number of Christians recently. As everything is shut down, the church has been put on time out because we have not preached a true gospel in America and we have exported it to the world. And any revival that begins with the sinning Christian gospel is a false revival. It's not from Jesus. It's from our flesh. I want to share with you the words of Jesus. As I've talked with a number of people, they have shared with me that they basically have given up. Perhaps that's your condition today. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Some of you know you're not right with God and that drags on your heart and you've never heard that you can be free that you don't need to walk in your sin anymore, that the blood of Jesus will cleanse you and wash you and make you whole. That's the gospel of Jesus. Now, I must interpret the writings of the Apostle Paul by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Revelation. Because revelation comes direct from Jesus as the risen Lord and the risen Savior. So if you're going to disagree with the word that I'm going to share with you, it's not my word. It's not an apostle's word. It's the word of Jesus. So please take due consideration of what I'm going to share with you. I don't share it with you to condemn but rather I share it with you in the spirit that Jesus shared it with 
his church at Laodicea. It's a compassionate message. It is not to the world. It is not to the unsaved. It is to the church. It is to those who say, I desire to follow Jesus. But you haven't been able to look full in his face yet. And you've given up. You've tried as hard as you can. I have such good news for you. Jesus loves you with such compassion and such mercy. Please, if you've given up, listen. Hear the good news. He says, I know your works. This is Revelation 3, verse 15. I know your works. He's saying, I know what you do. I know how you function. That you're neither cold nor hot. Well, why would you not be hot? Because the devil's been blowing on your life. And he's been cooling you down. One preacher said, and I so much agree with him. He said, today's church is all about being warm. We're a warm fellowship. You'll be welcome here because we're we're such a warm fellowship. Well, no, I don't want to be a part of a warm fellowship. I want to be a part of a hot fellowship. Hot for Jesus. On fire for Jesus. A church that has looked full in his wonderful face. A people for who the things for whom the things of earth have grown strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. He says, I would that you were hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, look, let's let's be really honest. Your spiritual condition before me as you walk in this sinning Christian gospel makes me sick. I don't like it. Those preachers who are saying that grace covers you and so and so you can't ever stop walking in the devil's power. You can't stop sinning against God. Jesus says, those people make me sick. That includes a lot of preachers in America and a lot of churches. He says, because you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. In other words, you've you've been lukewarm for so long. You have no sense of your great need. And yet, there's something missing in your heart. You're not looking at Jesus. You're looking at your pastor. You're looking at your church traditions. You're looking at your career, your friends, your plans. You're looking at everything, but you're not looking to Jesus. You don't know that you're wretched. And in the Greek, that word literally means you're so exhausted from work. You've been beat up by work. And now this whole COVID-19 thing has put such fear in your hearts and, 
and you want to separate from everybody and you you don't know what you're going to do and you're miserable. Well, that's part of why this whole pandemic has come. It's a judgment. It's a judgment. Now, the question is, did God bring it or did the devil bring it? Does it matter? God is using it. And God does bring judgments on his church and on the people. Many times he brought judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah was a very severe judgment. Praise God, this isn't that kind of judgment. But a great day of judgment is coming, and you must be ready for that great day of judgment. And he's saying, look, you're so exhausted, you can't even take time to read the scriptures. You can't take time to just sit and be with me to meditate, to pray. He says, you're poor. You think you're rich. I think you're broke. You're blind. You're naked. When I look at you, I see your nakedness. I see your sin. He says, look. Now this is where his love begins to be poured out for you and for me. He says, look. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to counsel you. I want you to buy from me gold, having been refined by fire. Well, the gold is faith. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Job 23, 10. It's gold is faith. The only place you can get faith is by hearing the word of God. Let me be more specific. The only place you can get faith is from Jesus. Faith belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to you. It's not something you work up. It's not something you say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. It doesn't work that way. It's not a positive affirmation until you believe it. Believing it does not make it real. What makes it real is the faith that comes from Jesus. And when you exercise that faith that Jesus gives you, you begin to have the gold. Well, how do you do that? Well, you take radical steps of obedience to Jesus. What kind of steps, Pastor? Well, you begin to give financially in a way that seems radical to you. You begin to do things that the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to do. There's a question that's very important for you to ask, to ask Jesus. See, Jesus is our source of eternal life, not the church. The church exists because they have gone to Jesus and received the gift of eternal life. They've been washed of their sin. They've been made whole. So you have to go to Jesus. And there's a question you need to ask him. Dr. Pawson was the one who gave me this idea And it's absolutely right. 
the question is Jesus is there anything you don't like in my life am I doing anything that displeases you If you'll honestly ask Jesus that question, he'll answer you. It'll come immediately to your mind. I don't like you sitting down and watching the television. That's what he said to me. He said, turn it off. And so many years ago, I turned it off and don't even have a television in my house. Or he'll say, I don't like the grudge you're holding against this person. Or I don't like the way you're being sexually unclean. I don't like your gambling. I don't like you buying those lot of tickets. I don't know what he'll say to you, but he will answer you. If you're honest in asking... And as the Holy Spirit answers, and then you begin to cut off what he says he doesn't like in radical steps of obedience. Jesus only had one way to deal with sin, and that was amputation. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go into heaven maimed than to be cast the whole body into hell. Jesus only knew amputation. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and he says, I don't like you going to that pornography or I don't want you to continue walking with that bitterness in your heart. I don't want you to do this anymore. Then you cut it off. You begin to buy faith from Jesus and it's his faith but he kindly deposits it in you faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God faith does not come by hearing the television or watching movies or being ambitious those things destroy faith faith does not come by being proud and arrogant That blocks faith. Now, secondly, and we've talked about this, but I'm going to go over it very quickly with you. He wants you to be refined by fire, that you may be rich, that you have gold, and white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may, may not be revealed, that you may... Rub eye salve on your eyes that you may see. So when you begin to take radical steps of obedience, when he tells you to give, you give. When he tells you to cut off, you cut off. And you continually are saying, Jesus, is there anything else in my life that you're displeased with? Please talk to me. I want you. You are the love of my life. You are the love of my heart. Jesus, I want only you. My heart is hungry for you. And anything that takes you away from Jesus, you cut it off. 
and in the process you begin to be clothed with the garments of righteousness. Revelation 19.8 The white garments are the righteous acts of the saints. Now remember, we're talking here about Christians. We're not talking about non-Christians coming. We're not talking about that kind of repentance and the new birth. We're talking about people who are already in the church, who've given up, or who are so hungry for more of Jesus, they just are crying out, this is what he's saying to do. And he wants you to have the eye salve. He wants you to see. He wants to open your eyes. Now listen to this statement of love. All those whom I may love, I convict and instruct. That's why you ask him, is there anything in my life you don't like? Another very important question is, Jesus, what would you like me to do? What do you want me to do with this money? What do you want me to do with this time? What do you want me to do with my wife and my husband? What do you want me to do with my children? He's the one in charge. And so we ask him. And it says he will convict us and he will instruct us. He will tell us what to do with our marriage. He will tell us what he wants us to change. If we'll spend the time with him, this doesn't happen in three-minute devotional before you run out the door to go somewhere or to do something. This will take time. You don't court someone by never spending time with them. And Jesus wants to court you. He wants time with you. Where you sit in his presence or you lay in the floor in his presence, you weep before him, you read the scriptures, you let him convict you and instruct you. And the first thing he'll do is begin to empty you of yourself, your ideas, your many of your beliefs. If I compare myself today with what I believed when I went into my first church pastorate. Total difference. He revealed to me the lies of the denomination I was a part of. He revealed to me my own falseness. And he began to teach me his word. So he says, be zealous. And you must repent. Repent means turn aside from it. Cut it off. Don't go there anymore. And now this is what I really wanted to share with you today. I wanted to review that so that you would hear clearly. Verse 20, listen. In other words, listen up now. He's he's got you in a place where you can hear. Now listen. I have stood at the door and I am knocking. First, the Lord has already left many of your churches. You go to church when you're able and the pastor's joking. The pastor's 
foolish jokes. And then the pastor doesn't talk about leaving sin or repentance or the blood. He talks about some success strategy or some philosophic argument or some little inspirational tidbit. No. That's not what he's talking about. And Jesus has left many churches. And those churches don't even know that Jesus left. They don't miss him. They have their rituals and their prayer books. They have their church calendar. But Jesus isn't there. Oh, they whoop up a lot of praise and worship music. But so do they at the Kennedy Center or concert venues where people shout and dance and same thing. It's emotion. It's human emotion. It's not Jesus and it's not the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm standing at the door of the church and I'm knocking. He's not standing at the door of a sinner's heart knocking. He's calling that sinner. He's sending his Holy Spirit to convict them and draw them out and cause them to repent of their sin. Here, he's standing at the door of the church. He wants to come back in your church. I know the work that I have to do in this ministry is to call for the church to be resuscitated to be resurrected, to be brought back to life, to hear Jesus knocking at the door. Jesus loves the church. He loves the American church. But he's been forced out by grieving his spirit. He's been forced out of almost all the American churches. 90% of the people going to church are sinning Christians. They're not righteous before God. It grieves the heart of Jesus. It says, if anyone may hear my voice. In other words, it's the church, if you hear my voice, and you open the door, I'll come in. And I'll dine with you. I'll fellowship with you again. But he's also speaking to you and to me as individual members of the church. And he's saying, look, do you hear me knocking? If you hear me knocking, and you can't hear him knocking until you have given radical obedience, until you have clothed yourself in white raiment, until your nakedness is covered, by his wonderful grace to you. You can't hear him knocking until you have eyes that see and you you begin to understand that Jesus is calling you, that you've given up, but now try again. But this time, try differently. Try doing what he's outlined here. It says, if anyone may hear my voice and may open the door, I will also come into him 
and will dine with him. And he with me. I can't think of anything more wonderful than sitting down with Jesus and sharing a meal of broken bread and wine. As he feeds me, to sit and be able to talk with Jesus, to fellowship with him. I love to ask Jesus questions and I expect answers. I've asked him, Jesus, what about this person? And he'll say, no. No, they can't hear you. Or I'll say, Jesus, what about this person? And he'll say to me, pray for them. I intend to save them. Pray for them. Intercede with me for them. I'll ask about, Jesus, what about the finance for radio? And he'll say to me, I'll carry you. I'll move in the hearts of my people to give and they will sacrifice for the gospel because they love me. I praise God for Jesus. He is everything to me. I can't make it without him. Verse 21 is very crucial. This is Revelation 3, 21. The one overcoming, I will give to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. For those who say, What's it mean, overcome? See, sinning Christians don't believe they have to overcome. They believe that Jesus' righteousness is imputed to them. They don't have to overcome. This is not the teaching of Jesus. Jesus teaches that we must overcome. That we must literally overcome by the power of the blood of Jesus. that he wants us to surrender. He wants us to submit to him. He calls us to repent of our coldness. He wants us to be refined by fire. He wants us to be rich in the word of God. He wants us to be dressed in white garments. He wants the shame of our nakedness to be taken away. Many of you listening to this broadcast have the shame of your nakedness before you, and you have believed that you were not going to be seen by Jesus, but he would just see his own righteousness. No, he wants to give you his righteousness. 
He doesn't want to cover you with his righteousness. He wants to give it to you. He wants to justify you. And that includes forgiveness of all past sins. I can't tell you how excited I was when Jesus spoke to me about 3 a.m. one morning when I was up to pray. He said, all of your sins are forgiven. I said, Jesus, thank you. Now, I also knew that when my sins are all forgiven, he also makes me righteous. He makes me righteous. That's what Revelation says. By his blood. I'm made righteous. I'm made to look like him. Justification includes both the forensic legal aspect of sins being wiped away, atonement, and being made righteous. He says, the one overcoming I will give him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. The one having an ear must hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Do you hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you today? Do you understand he is calling you that he doesn't want you to give up. Some of you have just given up. And he's calling you and he's saying, don't give up. Try again. Only this time, do what I've told you to do. And everything will change. Cut off those things that are blocking me, that are grieving my heart, that cause me to leave you. Religion is not going to get the job done. You're going to have to have the mighty blood of Jesus Christ come and work that miracle of grace in your heart. Look. Grace to you and peace from God. The one being and the one with the one who was and the one coming from the seven spirits are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful martyr, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to the one loving us and having already washed us from our sins by his blood and made us a royal power, a priesthood to his God and Father, the glory and power be to him forever and ever. Amen. Pay attention. He's coming in the midst of the clouds, and every eye will see him, even the ones who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Has Jesus done that work in your heart? Are you washed clean today? Does your heart long for Jesus and his presence? Are the things standing between your heart and the heart of Jesus? 
Have you continued to practice some sin, some wickedness before God? Because you were so discouraged and so hopeless. I can't think of anything more exciting than cutting off the sin of my heart by the power of the blood of Jesus, being made whole, being made a priest, and hearing Jesus come knocking on my door and welcoming him into my life where he has total authority. And he sits down and he breaks the bread with me and eats with me fellowships with me. That's what Jesus wants. This message to the church at Laodicea holds a promise that none of the other churches received. This last day church, there is the promise that Jesus will come in and eat with us. That he wants intimate fellowship with us. Are you ready? Are you ready to do what you must do that Jesus can once more come in and fellowship with you? Is your church ready to do whatever it costs to put away sin and unrighteousness and be made whole by his blood? Again, this amazing song O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Through death into life every last, everlasting, he passed and we followed him there or us sin. No more has dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, Jesus, thank you for meeting us today. I know you've spoken clearly to many who are listening. I know they're going to be asking you now, or they've already asked you, is there anything, Jesus, in my life that you don't like? Is there anything that would keep you from, from coming and knocking on my door? Is there anything that would keep me from hearing you knock? O oh Lord, come. Come in, Jesus. I open the door to you. We open the door today to you, Jesus, and say, please, please come in. Please come in. We are honored by your presence. We say glory to your name, Jesus. Glory, praise, and honor to the name of Jesus. Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Today, if you've 
enjoyed this message, would you subscribe to it on YouTube? That will help us as they will make our videos more available to others. Also, if you'd like to write to me, I would love to hear your testimony. One man wrote and said, Please, pray that I could enter into salvation. I've been pleading with the Lord for that dear brother that he would quickly enter into salvation, cutting off his sin, coming to Jesus, being washed and made clean. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box twenty three forty six, Woodbridge, Virginia, two two one nine five. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. My brother, my sister, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother, my sister. I want you to be full of Jesus. I want you to be free of sin. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. And to present you blameless Before the presence of His glory Jesus Christ.